Well, this morning we are going to be in Romans chapter 4. We're going to look at a few different verses in Romans chapter 4. So if you have a Bible, you could turn there. If you don't have a Bible, that's all right. There's some in the seat. Uh, there's a Bible in the seat in front of you. There's some in the rows. Also, the verses will be on the screen as well. A number of years ago, a number of years ago, a new high-rise hotel was built in Galveston, Texas. And what was special about this hotel is that this hotel was going to be built right on the edge of the Gulf of Mexico. It was going to be built closer to the water than any hotel had been built before. In fact, what they had to do was they ended up putting pilings under the sand so that the, the hotel could be supported. And they began to build the hotel right on the edge of the water. And I don't know if one of the hotel executives was standing in one of the rooms or if someone was just thinking about the project at home, but at some point it occurred to someone that they were going to have a problem once the hotel was built. And the problem they thought to themselves was that a lot of people would come to Galveston, Texas and go on fishing trips in the Gulf of Mexico. This hotel was so close to the water that the balconies that overlooked the water were close enough, people could just stand on their balcony and from 12, 15, 16 floors up, throw a line in the water and fish off their balcony. And the hotel executive or whoever was on the project thought to themselves, this is going to be an issue for us. We're going to have all these people who are traveling to the Gulf of Mexico to go on fishing trips with rods and tackle in these hotel rooms, and they're going to throw it off the balcony and try to fish. So they came up with a solution to solve the problem. Every room, when the hotel was finished, that had a balcony near the water, also had a little plaque next to the balcony. And the plaque said, fishing from the balcony is prohibited. So the hotel opened, and guests began to arrive. And sure enough, they had the exact problem that they were worried about. Guests would be eating breakfast on the first floor, and they would see fish flying up out of the water, going stories up in the air. And in fact, this is true, a couple windows were broken from the lead weights on the lines. They would cast the line, and the line would swing back and would crack the window. And so they had the exact problem that they were worried about. And it went on and on until finally the hotel manager came up with a solution that solved the problem once and for all. And he guesses what he did? He took down the signs, and no one ever fished from the balcony again. What happened was, is that people walked into their room, and they saw the sign that said, fishing is prohibited from the balcony, and they thought to themselves, well, I never thought of doing that before. And then it seemed like a good idea, all of a sudden. And once they took down the signs, they didn't have the problem again. If you've been with us over the last few weeks, we've been walking through the beginning of the book of Romans. So the Apostle Paul, who planted many of the churches in the first century, he would stay in touch with these churches and he would write them letters. When Paul writes his letter to the church at Rome, he's never been there, but he's communicating with the people who are Christians in that city. One of the things that he makes clear in these first few chapters is that God has established his law and because God established his law, what it did was when God put rules in place, it revealed how imperfect we really are. 
In fact, Paul said, says, when God put rules in place, the first thing that happened was that tendency that's inside of us to hear the rules and try to find out a way around them or try to break the rules or bend the rules. That rose up and all of us at some point in some way broke God's law. It's that same thing that, that is inside of us that, that, that sees the speed limit sign and thinks that it's just a suggestion or a minimum. There's just something that just because it's posted doesn't mean that we're going to, to obey it. And in fact, sometimes when we see a rule that we don't necessarily agree with, there's a little bit something inside of us that, that says, I'm going to do it anyway. And that's exactly what Paul's talking about. He's saying, yeah, that's, that's exactly how we all are. God put his law in place, and what it revealed is that none of us are perfect. And Paul's talking to his audience, and his audience is a lot like we are today. Many of us would say, if I was going to restore my relationship with God, if I was going to make sure that I was close to God, if I was going to make sure that when this life is over, I spend eternity with him, then what I would do is I would work my hardest to be a good person and to do the right thing and to follow God's rules as much as I can. And Paul says to the people, you need to understand that that doesn't work. None of us can live up to all of the rules. None of us can do everything that God has called us to do. And so Paul says to us, and we've been talking about this the last few weeks, that salvation, salvation being that thing that fixes the relationship between us and God that's been broken, not only here on this earth, but also for eternity, salvation comes not by us working at it and not by us being good people, but salvation comes as a gift from God. In fact, Paul said it very explicitly last week, if you were with us, in Romans chapter 3, verse 24, he said that salvation comes through faith in Christ Jesus for all who believe, that that's how salvation works, that salvation is not something that we earn, salvation is a gift. You know, I can imagine the people that broke the fishing rule at the hotel, my guess is, is that if they were one of the ones who their weight, lead weight swung back and cracked one of the windows, my guess is they had a little meeting with the hotel ownership, and the hotel ownership said, listen, you violated the rule about fishing from your balcony, so here's what we're going to do. Um, you're going to perhaps need to stay in a different hotel from now on, and also we're billing you for the window. Imagine if the people looked back at the ownership and said, that's ridiculous. You have a lot of rules at this hotel. And I kept all the other ones. So I shouldn't be punished because I didn't keep this one little, what I think is a dumb rule about fishing from your balcony. It was the best part of my trip. So why would you punish me? Why would you punish me um, for breaking one rule when I kept all the others? And Paul's saying, yes, that's exactly how it works with God. It makes sense to us that they would have to pay some sort of penalty for breaking the rule and breaking a window. And Paul's saying, that's exactly how it works with us in our relationship with God. We've broken some of the, of the law. We've broken some of the rules. All of us have done it. And there's a price that needs to be paid. And so when we come to chapter 4 of the book of Romans, Paul reminds us of what he said before. And we'll read a couple verses in just a moment. Paul reminds us of what he said before. And that is, we cannot earn our salvation as a reward, salvation comes as a gift through faith. The question I want us to think about today then is if that's true, that salvation doesn't come through works, but it comes by faith, then what does it look like to have faith? 
What does it look like to live a life of faith? What does it look like for you and I to have faith? I think that's an important question for us to answer. And in chapter 4, that's exactly what Paul does for us. He starts to tell us, okay, I've established that you can't earn it, that it's a gift that you receive by faith. So here now is what faith looks like. At the beginning of chapter 4, Paul just kind of reminds us quickly of where he's been. I'm just going to read verses 4 and 5. This is what Paul writes. Now to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but his due. And to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. And what Paul is saying is, he's saying, listen, um, if we have the mindset when we come before God... If we have a mindset internally that says, you know, around here, we get our salvation the good old-fashioned way. We earn it. He said, if you have that sort of mindset, if you have that sort of mindset, it won't work. Because we are not God's employees down here doing things, so then God gives us a paycheck at the end of life. And says, well, you did all these good things. Here's how much I owe you for doing all of these good things. Here's what I owe you. Here's what you've earned. We do not obligate God to do anything for us based on the works that we do. What Paul is reminding us is that it's a gift that can only be received through faith, and it's available for those who would believe. Within this, these couple of verses, Paul says a key phrase that's so important in this chapter of Romans. He says right there at the end of verse 5, And to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, and this is what he said, his faith is counted as righteousness. Or maybe you have a Bible in front of you where it uses the word credited. His faith is credited to him as righteousness. And what Paul is literally saying is we have an account that's overdrawn. We have a penalty that we cannot pay. And God comes in and he pays that penalty for us. And because he does it, when we believe and receive it, it's credited to our account. We're credited, counted as righteous. I had a, um, a great-grandmother who lived in Bella Vista, Arkansas. Has anyone ever been to Bella Vista, Arkansas? I can tell you, uh, unless your great-grandmother lives there, you probably have not been. We took a lot of trips down to Bella Vista, Arkansas when I was a kid. It wasn't my favorite way to spend my spring break. There's not a lot to do in Bella Vista, Arkansas. It's right over the border from Missouri. And uh, we would go down there. My great-grandma, she was was fantastic. She lived to 104, and uh, she was fun to talk to. But that meant 104 meant there was a lot of trips down to Bella Vista, Arkansas. We would go year after year after year. Now, there's really only like three things to do in Bella Vista, Arkansas. So when you go year after year after year, you've pretty much done them all. One of the things to do is to go to the neighboring town of Bentonville, Arkansas. Bella Vista and Bentonville are very close to each other. And Bentonville is the home of, does anyone know? Walmart. Nice job, Jeanette. Walmart started in Bentonville, Arkansas, Sam Walton. So in Bentonville, Arkansas, next time you're driving through, you should probably stop because there is the Walmart Museum in Bentonville. And so we would go every year because there's nothing to do. So we would go to the Walmart Museum. And one of the things they have in the Walmart Museum 
is an area with returned items that people sent back to Walmart. Sam Walton distinguished himself from the competition by taking back items no matter what. No matter what. The one that I remember that just struck me as funny is there is a tennis racket that's there in the museum. And the tennis racket uh, was clearly handled by somebody who lost a tennis match. There is a giant hole through the strings. The wood on the shaft of the tennis racket is splintered as if someone hit it over the top of a fence or on the back of a chair. And they brought it back to Walmart, and right next to the tennis racket is a little plaque with the reason the person gave they were returning the tennis racket. And the plaque said, um, the tennis racket doesn't hit the ball correctly, or something like that. (laughs) Now, Sam Walton distinguished himself because he took it back. And what essentially he was saying is, I'm going to take this back, and I'm going to credit your account not based on who you are as some raving lunatic with a tennis racket, but based on who I am and our corporation and what we stand for. I'm going to credit your account, not because you deserve it, but because of who we are as an organization and who we want to be. And that's exactly what Paul says God does with us. God, when we believe, credits us with righteousness, not because we've earned it under what we've done, not because we've been good enough people, but because it is his gift to us, because of who God is, He grants it to us. And this phrase, counted as righteousness, comes from the Old Testament. And it comes from the book of Genesis, which is the first book in the Bible. And it comes from the life of someone that now Paul holds up to us as an example of what it looks like to live by faith. Paul says, you want to know how to receive salvation? It comes through faith. You want to know who lived a life of faith? And then he switches over to this story about this Old Testament guy who did exactly what Paul is talking about. The story that he goes to is about a man named Abraham. Now, Paul's audience, the Jews living in the first century, or any Jewish audience, would be very familiar with Abraham. He is the father of their nation, and he is the one with whom God started. And so Paul is writing to first century Jewish audience, and he picks Abraham and uses Abraham as an example of what it means to live by faith. If you look back in the Old Testament, in Genesis chapter 12, God picked Abraham and called him to go to a new land. And in a couple chapters later, God came to Abraham and he said this. He said, Abraham, I am going to make you a father of many nations. And in Genesis chapter 15, verse 6, The Bible says that Abraham believed God when God said that. When God said, I'm going to make you a father of many nations, Abraham believed God and God counted it to him or credited it to him as righteousness. So that phrase that Paul's using in Romans 4 comes right from there, that God credited it to Abraham as righteousness because he believed. Now here was the thing with God's promise to Abraham. God came to Abraham and said, you'll be a father of many nations. The big problem that Abraham had is that he was, the Bible tells us, almost 100 years old when God made this promise. And his wife, Sarah, was well past the age when she, where she would be able to conceive children. And they had no children. So here they are, an older couple with no children, and God comes to Abraham and says, you are going to be the father of many nations. And Abraham, 
believes God, and it says credited to him as righteousness. Here's how Paul says it in a couple of verses in Romans chapter 4. We'll start in verse 18. In hope, he, that's Abraham, believed against hope that he should become the father of many nations as he had been told. So shall your offspring be. He did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead since he was about a hundred years old, or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. No unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God. And listen to this. Fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. This is why his faith was counted to him as righteousness. Paul says, you want to know what it looks like to live this life of faith? Here's what it looks like. It looks like exactly what Abraham did. God came to Abraham and promised him something that looked like it could never possibly happen. God said, Abraham, I'm going to make you a father of many nations. I know you have no children. I know that you and your wife are past the age that you would uh, think about having children. I know that your wife is not physically able to have children. But I am going to bless you with a child, and you are going to be the father of many nations. And Abraham believed what God said to him. So Abraham, as a man of faith, he had to do something. He had to weigh the promises of God against the circumstances that he faced in his life. And he had to decide which one was going to win. And Paul says, the person of faith, when weighing the circumstances of life and the promises of God, chooses the promises of God each and every time. Chooses to hold on to the promises of God each and every time. And so a person of faith then is not someone who believes that their works are going to earn them salvation. A person of faith is someone who says, because I've received this free gift of salvation, because God has credited me as righteous, because God has counted me as righteous, because I believe his promises over anything that's happening in this world, I am going to live and serve him. Not because it earns me anything, but out of gratitude and graciousness for what God has done to me. Paul says that's what it looks like to live by faith. To uphold the promises of God, believe in the promises of God, and then act like they are true. The great theologian uh, Larry King, he tells the story, uh, he tells the story in a book about two men who were praying in a drought. There were two farmers, the story goes, who were in the middle of a drought. And they went out into the field, and they got down on their knees one day, and they raised their hands to heaven. And they began to pray that God would send rain. And then the next day, they did the same thing. And the third day, they did the same thing. Finally, an onlooker came over to the men, and they, he said, what are you doing? And they said, well, we're in the midst of this huge drought, and we need it to rain so our crops will grow. And so day after day, we're coming here, and we're praying on our knees, hands up to heaven. And the man says, you're not praying. And they said, absolutely, we're praying. We're on our knees. Our hands are stretched towards heaven. We are asking God for rain. And the onlooker said to them, a man who was really praying would bring an umbrella with him. That's exactly what Paul is saying. If you're trusting the promises of God and you're a person of faith who looks at the circumstances of this world and upholds the promises of God, Paul's saying then your life will reflect that truth. That the action that you take will will show that you believe that that is 
true. And so here's Abraham weighing the circumstances of his life, the impossibility of having a child with the promise that God has given him that he would be the father of many nations, and he believes that that is true, and God credits him as righteous. And what Paul's saying to his audience is the audience would look at Paul and they would say, no, no, no. The reason Abraham is such a a, a figurehead in our our belief system and in our religion is because he was such a great guy. And he did everything that God wanted him to do. And Paul would say, no, no, no. The reason that Abraham is righteous is not because he was such a great guy. The reason Abraham is righteous is because in those moments he believed God and took him at his word. And that's what it looks like to live a life of faith. We keep saying week after week that the person who receives salvation doesn't work for it, but believes through faith and receives it. And what does it look like to live a life by faith? The way that we know that we're living by faith is that when we look at the problems of this world and we look at the promises of God, we follow the promises of God every time in spite of the problems in this world. If you want to know if you're living the life of faith, the life that God has called you to, you go and you evaluate, am I holding on to the promise? of God in spite of the problems that are in this world, where there's circumstances in life that make it look like it's impossible to do what God has promised me he is going to do, then do I hold on to those problems or do I hold on to God's promises? The person of faith, Paul says, is fully confident that God is able to do what he has promised to do in spite of the circumstances of life. And I'll tell you what, this week, uh, me and, and Google, we were looking for a great example of faith to try and put into this sermon at the end of this sermon here, which we're getting to, that we were looking for the right story. We were looking for the right story to find. And when I was searching this week for the story and saying, all right, what is the big story of the person who had problems and, and hung on to the promises of God? Where is that story? And I was searching for it. I felt God say to me, you don't have to look outside the room. I was searching the internet, trying to find that perfect story, looking through the books, and I felt God say to me this week, you don't have to look outside the room because the truth is, I know that this room right here this morning is filled with people of faith. I know that this room is filled with people who are doing exactly what Paul is talking about. You have all sorts of circumstances in your life where things are difficult, and God has promised you things, and God has told you that things are going to happen, and your family doesn't know what you're doing, your friends don't know what you're doing, people think you're kind of crazy for what you believe in the life that you're living, but you're holding on to the promises of God because you're a person of faith and you believe that in spite of all this other stuff that's going on down here, that the promises of God are true. And if he said it's going to happen, that it is going to happen. And so you're living that life. And some of you this morning just needed to come into this room. I felt like God told me and just be encouraged that you are doing exactly what God has called you to do. Stay in that. Keep doing it. Don't allow this world that would rather focus on the problems and the conflict and everything else that's happening down here. Don't let this world pull you down and away from the promises of God. Don't let a world that would mock those promises convince you to walk away from them. Because if God has said it's going to happen, then it's going to happen. And some of us this morning just need to be reminded and encouraged. You are doing what God is asking you to do. Stay in that. Keep going. If it hasn't yet happened yet, if God has promised it, 
It will occur. It was not the next day that Abraham and Sarah had a child. There were years between the promise and when it actually happened. But Abraham believed the promise throughout the process. And this morning, some of you have things that are happening in your family. Some of you have things that are happening in work. Some of you have things that are happening personally. And you know that God promised you something and it hasn't happened yet. I want to encourage you this morning to keep holding on to the promises of God. There are certain things that God has promised all of us. God has promised that he will provide for all of your needs. God has promised that everything that you need, he will provide for you. Doesn't mean he'll provide all our wants, but he'll provide all of your needs. God promises that his grace is sufficient for you. God promises you that you're not going to face a temptation that you can't overcome. God promises us that we have eternal life through Jesus Christ. God promises us that when we face the challenges of this world, he is bigger. God promises you that he will never leave you nor forsake you. God promises you that he knows your name and that he is intimately involved in your life. God promises you that ultimately he is our healer and he is our deliverer. God promises you that he is creating a new heaven and a new earth where we will spend eternity with him. And I want you this morning to remember, hang on to those promises. There's no reason to go outside the room. There's so many people in here who are doing it this morning. And some in here this morning, you're like all of us are at some times. You feel like you've done it in the past, but you're not doing it today. The great thing about salvation, and this is what separates Christian faith from every other belief system, is it's not dependent upon what you do, it's dependent on what God has done for you. And so go back and start trusting in God again. Transfer that trust off yourself back to God. Transfer that confidence off yourself back to him. And some of you this morning have never done that before. You've never put your trust and confidence in God. It's always been in yourself. Perhaps today's the day. Maybe today's the day that you would transfer that trust off yourself to God, that you would transfer that confidence off yourself to him, that you would ask him that he would forgive you, that you would admit to him that you can't do it on your own, that you want to receive his grace through faith. What does it look like to live that life of faith? When the problems of this world come into conflict with the promises of God. We go with the promises of God every time. That's what it looks like to live by faith. I'm going to invite our worship team back as we close this morning. And I'm going to ask you if you would just to bow your head and close your eyes with me. I know that there are folks in this room this morning. I know you're here where it's been difficult for you to hang on to the promises of God because things have happened in this life and they haven't been easy. Things have happened in this world and I'm not in any way trying to minimize the pain and the struggle that some can go through in life. I'm just here to remind you that God is bigger than it and his promises are bigger than it. You've been overlooked. You've felt lost. You've been hurt. 
you've felt cheated. God's promises are bigger than all of that. You've waited and God hasn't come through and you waited some more and God didn't come through. So eventually, eventually you just went and did your own thing. Listen, God's promises are going to come true. So wait on Him. Come back and wait on Him. God, this morning I pray for us who just needed your encouragement today. Thank you for the reminder that your promises are true and that your promises are sure. God, help us each and every day as we leave this place today to be able to walk in those, to be able to live in those promises, to be able to hold on to those promises which are true. And God, I pray for those in this room who are still searching, still trying to make sense of it all. God, I pray this morning that they would understand your gift more than ever before. We were reminded that Jesus Christ did not come into this world to condemn the world, but to save it. And that we would hold on to your grace and to your mercy. We're going to sing a couple songs as we end this morning. And as we do, my wife and I are going to be on one side of the stage. Our, our, elder, uh, our elders, Bill and Karen Sullivan, will be on the other side. As we sing... If God's speaking to you this morning, if you're walking through something today, please come. We want to pray with you. That's why we're here. It's not about putting on a show. It's about we believe that God hears us when we pray. So we want to pray with you. We want to pray for you. If you're here this morning and you want to come up to the front and spend some time just you and God, you're more than welcome to do that as well. But God, we pray that in these next few moments you will be glorified, that you will be honored, Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand with us and let's spend some time in the presence of God.